Hello, everybody. This is Paul Costell, the founder and host of We Love Arabian Horses, and we're joined today by Michael Bias. Hey, Paul. Hey, Arabian horse lovers around the world. Michael, you have been in the Arabian horse business for many, many, many years. I know we grew up together, and I'm so thrilled you're on our podcast today. Why don't you share to start a little bit about how you got involved with Arabian horses in the beginning? Horses in my life preceded Arabians, and I attribute that to growing up in the late 50s and 60s. There were three television stations, and each one of those television stations had a Western, which featured heroic cowboys, great horses, beautiful senoritas, ranches, riding, and those were my group of friends, heroes, those guys that rode those horses, and then the horses themselves. So I, growing up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, we had the Arabian Nationals in 67 and 68, and I also, at a point in my childhood, had a neighbor who had Arabian horses. So my love of horses, the advantage of having the Nationals and a neighbor in Albuquerque, it just, I fell in love with these horses, and it's been a 50-year love affair. So were you, what was your first exposure to Arabians, going to the national championship show? Just going to the New Mexico State Fair, they had they had every division of horse, so I, I was aware of them. And then this neighbor, plus the nationals, all those events kind of fused together to be, become very prominent in my head. So how old were you when you started riding Arabian specifically? Nine or ten. Gotcha. Well, I would say, you know, we're trying to cram 50 years into a short little podcast. There are two pivotal moments that I remember early in your career, and they were with Silfon, the national champion open Western horse, and then followed in 1994 by Rave Review, national champion open English. Why don't you share a little bit about either or both of them and any other pivotal moments that you think would be relevant? Well, Silfon has his origins in my life back in Albuquerque again. He was bred by Jennifer Anderson Bird, who lived in Albuquerque at the time. And Silfon actually happened to be one of your other podcast contributors, Ray LaCroix's first national champion. He showed him in Halter in 1971 and had national champion gelding. So I, I grew up knowing this world-famous horse, Silfon. And as I then got to ride him and win a national championship on a horse that I'd idolized from a family that were my horse trainer heroes, it was a huge moment because I went from just being a kid who loved riding horses and showing horses, and I was, a, I was just about exclusively a performance trainer at that time, although we did everything You'll remember we did from showmanship to egg and spoon to Western to halter to whatever. We did everything, enjoyed our horses as the versatile breed. Then to win this Western, my life started changing because becoming known and having been able to win a huge prize at a young age, people started sending me more horses, better horses. And at this time, living in Southern California, there were a lot of horses And I started getting halter horses, which in-hand breeding class horses. And I 
started migrating away from my love of riding because people were flying me all over the world to show horses in hand. So I rode less and less, truly getting away from my first love. And my career took a different path. Rave was an exception in that because he was an exceptional horse. He was a perfect-minded horse. He was brilliantly made. The woman who owned him at the time was insistent that I ride him. She didn't want anybody else to, to have him. And because of that horse's intellect, his courage, his heart, his confirmation, I was able to get him to this national championship without having to ride him as consistently as you would a less talented horse. And yeah. that horse was the love horse of my life. I, he was a pet. I'd take him to horse shows just to turn him loose in my barn aisle so he could run around, which one day he escaped out of the barn aisle, ran into the food court at Scottsdale and knocked all the bread containers over. But that's another story <laughs> for a, a different audience. But those horses, those two horses, those were some of the greatest moments in a long career. And what I loved about doing the riding part and showing those horses is I thought there was such a dignity and an integrity about knowing a horse on that kind of level where you have to be really in sync with them and you have to have a relationship. So the riding thing was, has always been important to me. And um, I believe it's timely to come back to that conversation. Well, and I think that's where we're headed next with my question for you is essentially you've come full circle with your career. You started out riding, then your focus shifted to the in-hand classes and breeding and now you're back to riding. Of course, you do both, but you put a lot more riding into your program, not only with um, your own interests, but also with these high-quality, beautiful horses that you have there. And why don't you share a little bit more about that? I've noticed a lot of your social media posts lately have focused on the under-saddle part of your um, kind of mission right now, and I'd like to hear about that from you. I crave riding horses. I, I do feel it's a soulful, beautiful thing to do. And getting away from it was never what I wanted to do, but it was just a necessity of the way my business career turned. So I turned 60 last year, and I said to myself, I want 60 to 70 to be dominated by riding horses. And in that conversation with myself for my own selfish needs, because Selfishly, I just want to ride horses. I get a lot of pleasure out of it. But then looking at the whole Arabian horse breed and how divided we've become in different arenas. One arena is a performance arena. One arena is a halter arena. And I think we've lost a little of the real value in our horses, and that's the versatility of them, being able to do multiple things, being able to satisfy different people in the family, like, mothers used to show the halter horses and the kids would ride and dads would drive. And, you know, I think if we brought all of that versatility in our horses back, I think as families, we would enjoy it more. I think we could grow the sport by making it back to what we had it in the 60s, 70s and 80s, really the versatile breed. So I am trying and I am going to, and I'm, I'm not going to give this up. I'm going to, show the national champion stallions under saddle. We're going to ride all of them. We're going to incorporate clinicians into our 
program that come out and teach people to ride. We're going to have a lesson program. We're going to try to expose children, families to the merits of being out in the country, being out with horses, learning the responsibility of caring for them, and really enjoying the sport for its fullest benefit rather than being so divided. You have a specialized Western horse, you have a specialized English horse, you have a specialized... That's not what everybody wants. People don't need that necessarily. And to those that want that, those horses and programs are available. But I think to grow our base, to make it stronger, to make it more entertaining, we have to do it all. We have to just do it all and do more of it. Well, and, you know, um, several of my friends who are amateurs have shifted a bit. They're, They're still showing maybe their you know, big English horse, but they, they've also maybe gotten a Western horse or their other, their husband or their wife or their parents or their children and are also riding their horses. And they're, they're also shifting in the, in the same kind of way you're talking, not necessarily between halter and performance, but just in multiple disciplines with the same horse or with multiple members of the family. I think that's great. And if we can just show those numbers and actually – grow them i think i think maybe maybe some kids will actually be benefited from it they'll get out of their gadgets and televisions and computers they'll get out in the country so i think in tandem people can benefit from this not only the horses our sport but families children parents we can all i think gain a lot out of participating with horses not only in in hand under saddle just leading them around everything from A to Z. Well, you know, when I think about my growing up and when I talk to other people like yourself and, you know, many people in the horse world, so many of us recount life lessons that we learned by having horses in our life, discipline and responsibility and taking care of, you know, all these things. I know that's been a big part of your learning curve as well. Absolutely, because if if you're committed to it and you're committed to the life of that horse, you're going to learn responsibility and you're going to learn structure and you're going to learn. And, and then having to ride a horse, you learn how to create goals, meet them, surpass them, set another goal. There are all sorts of benefits that uh, are life lessons that, you know, down the road after your junior career is over, you've learned some structure and responsibility that you can take into anything. So, there, there are innumerable benefits to be had by participating with horses and having to have that uh, structure and dedication and discipline in your life. When you were talking about the merging of the halter ring and the performance ring in your own life more recently, especially, um, you know, like what's going on today, I thought you were headed down the path of saying that you were trying to prove that these halter horses can be performance horses as well. Is that part of your mission statement, or is, is that not necessarily part of where, what you're trying to um, illustrate for everyone? Well, the conversation has, by my social media posts, has gone into that direction. People are applauding the fact that I'm riding national champion stallions and disproving the theory that these in-hand horses – cannot be ridden because they're cuckoo, but that wasn't really my original intent. My original intent was just to satisfy the social, the selfish desire for me to be back in the back of a horse. That's what 
I wanted to do. I just wanted to ride. But I also <laughs> know that the, my platform allows it for, to be a bigger conversation and a bigger learning curve for people who don't believe these horses can be ridden. So I'm happy to, to be able to incorporate that into what I wanted to do. And the conversation is certainly – we were at Region 14 this year, and I had a world-famous stallion there and rode him around the showgrounds, and people were surprised. And I, w- I would like to, at the end of this, have it not be such a surprise that we can do this and have more people. Yeah. You know, when you were, when go ahead. You, when you were, um, you know, contemplating this whole plan, and then you decide that you're going to go ride this world champion stallion at a regional level horse show and compete under saddle now, on and any others that you're already riding. Did did how did the owners of those horses react? Were they surprised? From the owners of last year's U.S. National Champion Stallion Polidoro to the Qatari royal family, everybody is supportive of it. Yeah. They, they are, they're just thumbs up. Let's do it. Let's absolutely ride these horses. Let's, we'll, we're, they're committed to letting me do it, to funding the process, to going to horse shows, to getting the message out that these are beautiful horses that are, equally as valuable under saddle as they are in hand. So I'm well supported in my mission. Well, that's great news, and it's very pleasing. And I think that where you're headed with this is actually where the industry, I I hate to use the word needs to head, but it's kind of important that you get back to the point you made a little bit ago about the versatility of the Arabians is pretty much one of its, key denominators that I know as a child, I was so enamored with that and was growing up with the horses. You know, we each had our horse that we showed in every single class at those horse shows back in the day. (laughs) Across disciplines, you know. And by virtue that we we didn't load up and just have a class Friday morning. We had classes Friday morning and Sunday night, so the whole family was able to be at a horse show together and spend an entire weekend instead of drive in, drive out. And getting back to, you know, the origins of my fascination with horses, those television programs, and, you know, we don't have that anymore. So we're going to have to work harder and be more inventive and bring the message however we can to the world. And I think just getting, getting, I don't believe, people are going to be as enthusiastic about participating in our sport if there's not more than just an in-hand program. I think we've got to be, again, the word versatile, but we have to be versatile in our offering to the public of what we're going to provide people once they get into horses for entertainment. And riding, coupled with every other thing we can do with these horses, is just valuable. Well, I think so. I think it's such a family, great sport for families to be involved with, whether it's Arabians or horses in general. And, of course, we have a bias to Arabians, um, but it it really bridges so many gaps, and it's a fantastic um, experience. In kind of getting to our last question, I I wanted to just ask you about the future. You have a lot of voice and a lot of conversation about the future of the breed and all the fantastic opportunities out there and kind of where we're going. Would you like to comment on that a little bit? 
Well, where we're going needs a little rerouting because I think we have to simplify and we have to get back locally and get back to the bottom of that pyramid instead of focusing so much at the top yep. and just get very base level with our horses and open up the stalls, open up the barns, open up your stables at home, be welcoming. It might be an inconvenience to have people walking up on top of you when you're doing something, but just a deep breath and taking a moment and understanding if that might be the next family that is willing to participate in the horse show world will will go a long way to helping our sport grow our sport. So I just, the direction I think just needs to be a little bit of a decompression, open up the stall doors, take some of those drapes off. Let's be accessible to the public and let's, let's, let's share our absolute passion and love of these horses with whoever we can and wherever we can. Well, I think that's great, and I just wanted to add the comment about your local-level involvement. I mean, right now there just aren't that many local shows and, you know, unrated shows even or small local rated shows that people can go to to get that experience and practice they need to advance in the breed. So it's a, it's the local component is very critical, would you say? I I think it's absolutely critical, and I – I don't know whether this is part of what you want to have a conversation about, but I do think that the conversation about regional championship horse shows has to be furthered because if we spend our energy, if I spent my energy in Houston, Texas, getting our friends, all our contacts, think of all the people, you know, being having grown up in Houston that I know if we had a really fun horse show in Houston and not a horse show with one and two horses in each class, where we can invite all of our non-horse people out to see a really good competition with lots of energy and camaraderie and ambiance and all of those things. We could, as ambassadors of the Arabian horse, grow our local community, which in turn can, as people, you know, find their footing of what they want to do, if they want to go to the nationals then, or if they want to stay local. But I think if we all could, you know, devote our resources and energy into where we live, whether it's Springfield, Massachusetts, Bakersfield, California, Houston, Texas, Miami, Florida, where if we didn't have to travel to these places to get our horses qualified, but we could actually get them qualified at a great local hometown horse show. I think we'd all be able to be better ambassadors and promoters of this breed. Well, sharing the breed with others who aren't exposed to it. And there's nothing better than a, you know, a young child or, a mom with kids coming out and seeing horses and, and Arabians in particular, they kind of sell themselves. They do, but they don't do a very good job of it if they're one and two horses in the classes. And yeah. and there's nobody watching. So we need to take it upon ourselves to try to, you know, hey, we're having a horse show this weekend. You guys want to come out, you know, while we're when we're at the tennis court or at the club or whatever you're doing, just – we need to have a venue that we can comfortably take people to that they'll see something entertaining and not look at it and think, oh, what's going on? Where is everybody? Where are the horses? So that is also part of my goal is to try to 
figure out a way to get people in the stands at a local level. And if, if, so just a quick 20 years ago, one of the background singers of the Rolling Stones, Bernard, he used to come to Phoenix and I would lead his two little girls around on rave at the horse show. Those girls are in their twenties. Now they still talk about that. And Bernard, when he and the stones were playing this week in Houston, they came out to my farm and Bernard rode 25 years later. Wow. He's still remembering how much fun it was to hang out with me because of the horses. And all these years later, I'm still, we're still letting him ride our horses and the smile on his face. And, you know, the people that were there with us, it it, it was great just to share it. And that's what we need to do. That's a great story. Well, and I really like how you're encouraging all of us Arabian horse lovers around the country to bring our friends to the shows and get them experience and have them be able to enjoy being around Arabians. Um, the the shows we have now are the shows we have now, but the more we involve others in our own communities with these horses, we're our best pro- proponent. So I think it's a great point. Um, I have nothing Paul, else. To, one other, on. I want to make one other one other. I want to make yeah. one other point and one other challenge. We all have got to see the value in spending time with the person that wants to spend five thousand dollars on a horse and. Make sure that if that's their entry point, they have a good experience and that we find time for those people in addition to the ones that want to buy the most expensive. But you never know what that $5,000 buyer is going to turn into. So Yeah, exactly. Well, listen, Michael, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, and we'll do another interview with you later. I just want to thank you again for being with us today and taking the time to chat. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. You're doing a good job for us. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.